Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Markian, warm, warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. This conversation has been months in the making. It was first uh, you being too busy, and then I had my vacation, and then it was other things, and then you got a, a second baby. Congratulations uh, with growing you. your family in these times. So I want to pick your brain on the topic that is very close to my heart right now, and that is on the minds of a lot of business owners and business leaders uh, across the globe, and that is how can we affect the war in Ukraine? How can we put extra pressure on Russia? So not only support Ukraine, but also how can we help stop the monster machine that is ongoing? And just this week, uh, just for the record, we're recording this on the 12th of October. So two days ago, there were heavy bombings uh, all over Ukraine. Russia has launched 83, I believe, missiles, and uh, more than half of them have been hit down. But Uh, many of them have landed, uh, killing people and destroying lives and companies. And with that, I've heard so many comments and, and received messages this week about this war has to be stopped. So I want this episode to be about how can we all stop this war with a focus on yes. the business leaders. Of course, of course. So the way I see this uh, war is a, it's a battle of wills and of resources. Ukraine cannot give up because then we're going to stop existing. And Russia cannot give up because uh, at least Putin's regime will stop existing if they lose the war. So some of us will win and some of us will lose. And the one who will win is the one who has a stronger will and will stand up for a longer period of time. And doing that is uh, no doubt the most effective way to win the war is uh, just uh, the military support. That's like number one way, there's no doubt. But there's limited, I understand there's sometimes limited amount of things that the business leaders can do. So from the business leader's perspective, the second most important thing and most impactful thing, I would say, is uh, uh, to help deplete Russia's resources. If they don't have enough money to keep fighting the war, they will not be able to sustain it. They will have to uh, change their plans. And so far, they still have plenty of resources. Uh, and partially because there's lots and lots of international business in Russia still. A lot of businesses have left, but there's still uh, a lot more in there, and they are supporting the work. They're paying the taxes, and uh, they are helping, even in some cases, indirectly supply the military lines, and they're helping keep up, keep the show running. Maybe some of them don't even know it. Uh, but I, I would say for international, for business leaders, Exiting business with Russia, cutting ties with Russia is the most effective way to accelerate the uh, the the end of this war and like the the type of end of this war that is uh, better for uh, for most of the world. That is Ukraine winning. I do believe that a lot of our businesses want to do well, and for many of those that I have heard who have not left Russian market, have not stopped 
doing business with that market. It's about care and it's about care of those who are the closest to them, to them, for example, their employees. I've had those conversations with businesses in, in Belgium who are saying like, if we, if we cut off that branch, uh, we, uh, we, we have to fire 400 people. And in Belgium now the, uh, the electricity prices have gone uh, over the roof and there are so many households who, who cannot affair, uh, afford those anymore. And we can't just fire those 400 people because that's their livelihood and the livelihood of their families. So it's not about the arrogance. It's not about lack of care that they are continuing doing business with Russia, but it's something broken there. So what are your thoughts on that matter? It was a hard decision up until a few weeks ago. And now I think it's a much easier decision. The reason it was hard is because it's about like business leadership fundamentals, about the values that you pursue. What's more important, saving 400 people from, from losing their job or saving lives or uh, ending the war? It's, and like you have the fiduciary responsibility, you have business responsibility to keep the business running. And at the same time, you have humanitarian and social responsibilities. Very, very hard to balance. I understand a lot of companies who are struggling with that. I've talked to a lot of them and I found the strongest leaders to make uh, this right call. And in the end, always what's right wins. So, and the, the reason I'm saying it was a very hard decision because these kinds of trade-offs are hard. But uh, on top of moral and social aspects, there was a risk involved in staying in Russia. There was a huge risk in doing business. And now a couple of weeks ago, those risks um, have uh, um, have happened. Now, Putin has announced the full mobilization. And now every business who's still in Russia has to directly participate in the war. And not just with tax money, but now they have to uh, be ready to give up their equipment, their offices, and uh, lead their employees to the war and be the ones responsible uh, working with uh, um, were commissioners who give out the uh, who draft the um, who draft the people to the army. They the companies have to be the one ensuring that the employees receive uh, the notice uh, to go to the war. So now, if anyone had any doubts that doing business with Russia is risky, and you were like indirectly uh, involved, now the companies are very much directly involved. It's not going away anytime soon. Now it's as as black and white as it can be. If you are still in Russia, your employees will go to Ukraine, will have to go to Ukraine. They will be forced to, and they will be forced to kill Ukrainians or they will die themselves. So the, the, the choice now, I think, is a much, much easier one to make. It sounds so reasonable. And I, I, I do, I bet you had so many conversations about that uh, within the, the past couple of weeks with the businesses, with business leaders. What are the um, concerns or the arguments of people who are still not ready to do that step of cutting the ties with Russia? It's very fresh. So it happened a couple of weeks ago. And it's usually, it can be hard to replace the equipment or the people, or sometimes the employees themselves get the threats or the leadership of the local offices get threats from the government or the risk of uh, uh, like if they leave uh, there's a risk that someone else will just pick all of it up uh, and uh, uh, will take it away and keep operating it as is. To that I say that's a fair risk that might happen but it's uh, um, uh, oh, what's the word? One of those biases. Unconscious? Some can cost fallacy. It's like you've already lost it. Uh, I think that's the way the businesses should think about it. 
And now the question is only how long will you keep on losing and participating in this versus just cut your cut the ties, uh, cut your losses and move on with your lives. There's still a lot you can do. Uh, you can uh, retrain the people. You can even, I know some companies even move their employees from uh, Russia to a different country, which is very generous. I have mixed feelings personally about this, but I understand for a lot of businesses like, uh, that's a viable decision. When there's a lot of equipment involved, it's much, much harder. And that's really that equipment might be lost. But uh, realistically, it's between that or using that equipment and your employees directly in the war. So that's still now, I think, is a better option uh, to leave. What would be the practical piece of advice that you can give to the businesses who who are on the fence there, ready to do that? Of course, there are legal implications and so on, and they there we will not give them the advice. But from the leadership perspective, from the decision-making, or from the human perspective of taking this step? What I learned in business overall is just the right thing always wins. Even if at the time, just consider how difficult and complicated the after effects are of a decision and you start figuring out the easier ways to soften the blow. But in the end, if you don't do the right thing, it will bite you um, sooner or later. So start with the right thing and then consider everything else. How are you going to implement it and make it happen? It, it just in my experience, it's always whenever I try to avoid doing it, prolong it, find like a middle ground, it always bites me back. So true. I also want to cover a bit of the personal decisions or, or how individuals who maybe not have the, the decision power within a company or they they do they are leaders in businesses, but they don't have any ties with Russia, but they still feel like they want to contribute. What can people do? Put pressure on their leaders and their decision makers. Like if, if they're not a decision maker, the best they can do is put pressure. If they believe strongly enough in the cause, I think it's a good reason to decide not to work with a company who supports working with Russia, who continues working with Russia. Uh, so uh, I think like in the end, every person makes decisions for themselves. Do you want or don't want to be part of this machine that's killing so many people? You have a personal history with doing something back in, was it 2013, I guess, right? Still? Yes. When you were doing something during the Euromaidan that you had no idea would yeah. make an impact. It was your way of expression of what was what was going on inside that made quite a big difference. Can you tell our listeners about that story? Of course. Um, so um, it was the beginning of uh, our uh, revolution of dignity in Ukraine in 2013. And the situation was quite dire. There was completely no light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we, we were, Ukraine was supposed to go integrate with, uh, with Europe. And the new president just completely botched it. They had a, he had a majority in the parliament. All the power structures were supported by that president. We had completely no means to counter that except for protesting. And there was a lot of people protesting. That was the only thing we could do. But there were really, you could not see a feasible way. How is the change possible at all? And it's very easy to give up in those times. It's like, what can I do? I have no idea. What can one person do in that time? And I think myself, as well as lots of Ukrainians at the time, they just had a strong, strong desire to do everything humanly possible to try to change the outcome because we so much did not want to be going into the direction of Russia back in 2013 because I've been both in Russia and in Europe and I knew what where I saw my future, where I knew where I wanted to go. 
And uh, I had this, um, I, I, I did something quite absurd, you can think of initially. Uh, I basically put up a piano in, uh, in front of a police and uh, tried to express a message that we, uh, we at the time were not aggressive people uh, who just wanted to like, vandalize and uh, who wanted a violent uh, protest. And instead, we were people who knew what they wanted. Uh, we, we wanted to express that with peace and we just wanted to be heard. And we wanted to basically to follow the commitments that were made to us a while ago. That is a path towards Europe. And I did this in just a very unusual way, expressing playing piano to the police. That seemed very, very absurd. I remember how much doubt I had while I was doing all this. Because there's, there's a lot of preparation you need to do. We painted the piano with colors of Ukraine and we had like logistics. And every single moment in time while I was doing this, I had no, I was questioning myself, like, why am I doing this? Why, is it, why does this matter? And uh, in the end, I just went through because I had no other better ideas in mind. So I just went through with what I, ha- I had in mind. And it did end up making some good impact with just a powerful imagery uh, spreading around the world, around Ukraine, and uh, both protesters and I think the police to help spread the message uh, of this revolution and uh, just communicate it in a very effective way that we want to go towards Europe and we don't want it in a violent way, we, violent way. We just want to be heard and we know what we want. We are conscious people. And so the, 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 what I learned from that experience is uh, one person can change something and any action, like especially in times of desperation when you have, don't see a feasible path towards uh, winning, uh, you just do the best you can for what you believe in and the rest follows. Thanks. It's, it's a powerful story. And uh, so many Ukrainians have those nowadays that when they just really acted out of heart and followed their values and their big vision for themselves, their, uh, their dreams for their life. And uh, that th- those are the drops that are becoming the ocean right now. And of course, it's, it's heavy right now because Ukraine is paying a huge, huge price. Uh, but I think uh, most people don't doubt that this is the price that is it's just in unavoidable right now in a way that, uh, or <laughs> I don't want to say we don't regret it, but we know what, what, what we're paying it for. And exactly. uh, people don't doubt the future. So Yeah, for us, it's either that or stop existing. And that, that is the message that unfortunately not everyone understands. And uh, I, I had to laugh when I saw this uh, tweet that here you also posted about uh, from Elon Musk last week about, oh. hey guys, just give up on your Crimea and do this and that. And there is a referendum. And yeah. That was around the same days that there was this tweet going around that Russia has announced there some plans on <laughs> recovering some uh, of their territories on the North American continent. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, guys, why don't you give up Alaska either? <laughs> and it just yeah. feels like you need to wake up, guys. Um, it's like a big misconception I found among a lot of smart people. They're just very misinformed on the potential outcomes of this war, I think. For Putin, Putin has publicly announced and that his end goal is to just destroy the concept of Ukraine. He just does not accept that there is such a thing as Ukraine or Ukrainians, which is very important. And his end goal is just to destroy that and to turn all of that into Russia. And that means take over all the territory, kill the people or change the people 
the deport the people. And he's showing that with Bucha and Irpin and Mariupol. Um, hundreds of thousands of people have been um, deported from the occupied territory into Russia to start like de-Ukrainizing them. So for us, it's just a matter of either we win or we stop existing. And I have so much love for Ukraine and who we are and where I grew up and all of this. I just cannot give up on all of that. And I think it's just also for the whole world, it's, it's just a tragic thing to be, uh, to be observing and not doing anything about it. Someone wants to destroy something beautiful and r- right in front of everyone. And it's just wrong to stay aside and do nothing about it. You just can't live with it once it, ha- it has happened. It might sound cliche, but that's really about what you want to see when you look yourself in the mirror uh, or when you yeah. will sit with your kids or grandkids later on and they will be asking you what was happening and where were you or what was your act in this. And we we are making history now, whether we want it or not, actively or passively, we, we are. And that's the thing that every one of us can decide how we are making that history. Yeah. And those tiny things like donating, that's that, that's something that people in Ukraine do on a daily basis because that's their gratitude for another day that they get to live. And that is something that Europeans can also do. Americans can also do. Anyone in the world can do. Uh, maybe not on a daily basis, but contributing to uh, to providing resources for Ukrainians to keep fighting. And we are grateful for every of those moments of uh, of support. So please, please, please keep it coming. Yes. The last question I would like to ask, I usually put a link in the show notes uh, to some fundraiser. And I, in the past several months, I have been using United24, the fundraiser by uh, initiative by our president, Volodymyr Zelensky. But uh, I would like to open up for you for, for this uh, episode, uh, if people are listening and they do want to contribute as individuals or their companies from their budget, which uh, cause would you prefer uh, them donate to? My pick is uh, um, a foundation called Kolo, which means a circle in Ukrainian. It's founded by my fellow product managers, product leaders, Ukrainian product leaders who a lot of them work in international companies. I know all of them personally. They, uh, it, It's a military uh, support. So if you if you can't do that one, I have another one, which is non-military, but this one is very, very effective. They are connected to the people on front lines and they know exactly what equipment, night vision and the body armor they need. And they supply it very, very responsible, extremely efficient and effective. And I trust each and every one uh, of them with my life. So uh, that is my number one pick. Um, and if you cannot do military support, and the other one is... Um, uh, Nova Ukraine, which is also um, uh, founded by my fellow Ukrainian colleagues in technology, technology leaders, investors, and engineer leaders. And they help refugees. They help uh, uh, more uh, humanitarian causes. Thank you. I'll put the show uh, the links to Kola and to the Nova Ukraine in the show notes that people can easily contribute to our victory and the victory of the free, non-insane <laughs> or sane world. Thank you so much for this conversation. I know that you're busy with a tiny little baby at home and also <laughs> business to run and the book of Russia on the side and everything around. So thank you so much, Martin. Thank you, Anna. Pleasure talking to you. And to you, genius leaders, uh, let's keep in touch and until the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. 
If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything.